Thank you for choosing Tox News, a Portum Rebellion broadcast. Welcome to this special episode, aimlessly wandering through the society of spectacle. I have one video segment to get into specifically. Other than that, I kind of just wanted to do an end of the week wrap up. Uh, it may be a little disorganized. It may be um, under prepped, but we continue on regardless because the machine never sleeps, especially the machine of propaganda. That's a 24-7, 365 kind of deal. Secretary and President-elect Biden talking about a, a cabinet that will more than look like the face of America, that will be the most diverse in history. He's talking about Dennis McDonough, we understand, for Veterans Affairs. You, of course, uh, have been such an important player on that in committee and elsewhere. Um, do you think that this cabinet is diverse enough? What word would you want well, to Well, to me, diversity is a very big word, uh, in the sense that you certainly want a cabinet to look like America in terms of representation for African-Americans and Latinos uh, and every other group in America. That's, you know, when people turn on TV and they see that cabinet room, they should say, hey, that looks like me. And that's right. But equally important, or more important, is having a cabinet that stands up and fights for working people at a time when wages have been stagnant for 45 years at a time when 92 million Americans have no health insurance or are underinsured, at a time when working class kids can't afford to go to college and people are working for starvation wages, and we've got to deal with climate change. So I want diversity in the cabinet. I want it to look like America, but I also want it to be a cabinet that has the guts to take on powerful special interests and fight for working families. You love to see it, and conservatives hate to hear it. That socialist Bernie. Can't believe he would say such a thing. How, holding corporations accountable. How how dare he? Doesn't he know this is America? Uh, all jokes aside, I appreciate Bernie for staying very consistent, as always. As always. He's not running for any office. He is simply fighting for your right to be a human being. So there's talks of $600 stimulus checks to go out to Americans who uh, have been, well, it's going out to everybody, but it's mostly for everyone who's been suffering in the uh, job market. And in an attempt to help them with their bills or either uh, stimulate the market or the economy. Uh, I thought I had an interesting tweet from AOC, but it does not seem that I have kept it. This is the kind of preparation we work, work we have here on Talks News. That's unfortunate. Um, but it has been going around that the $600 really, uh, even to me, is pretty measly. Um, you know, the memes are relentless with it in itself but uh yeah here's the alexandria ocasio cortez tweet and it says you can either get stimulus money or unemployment but not both say republicans demanding corporate immunity for worker abuse and tax cuts for the very rich and subsidies for friends and total lack of oversight or accountability to their connected pals scamming ppp and 
Um, and that was the end of the tweet. But the the unfortunate thing is, is that Trump ran on that whole um, drain the swamp thing. And when a- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez clearly calls out the swamp monsters, um, the Republicans think that she's trying to control their lives with a dictatorship. Um it's it's a bootlicking lie uh, allowing capitalists to continue stomping over the workers. I I don't know how to put it out more plainly. Um, I thought I had another tweet here. Do 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 do. Going through, going through. No, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. It 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 all seemed to be part of the stimulus relief bill that is actually. Uh, being debated now on Congress. In those hollow halls. Here's who, uh, CNBC is reporting. Here's, uh, who is likely to get a second stimulus check under the latest relief package. This was reported six hours ago. Congress works on COVID-19 relief deal as shutdown, uh, deadline looms. Reports CNN, GOP Senator blocks bill to provide $1,200 stimulus checks, reports The Hill. These are all today. Uh, One news story that I did find fascinating is that apparently Trump is reported to have said that he wanted $1,200, but it has been talked down by GOP uh, actors and advisors. Um, So that was that's interesting that I, I don't know why that would be news, because I just feel that Trump wouldn't really feel compelled to even discuss it which he hasn't really in public um so to get something that says well this uh white house official say it's empty it's it feels pretty empty it i feel like for the most part you know supporters are going to be like oh he is fighting for us behind the scenes why won't the mainstream media report on this but trump not coming out and publicly saying it is like the actual endorsement that i need because honestly i feel i could have an uh, if I were the president, I would tell a White House official something in order for it to get leaked to the news, and then I look good. Vaguely, but good nonetheless. Because I, I would give him props if he came out and said, $1,200, that's what I want, Congress, Senate, get it done. Um, but it looks like we're heading towards a $600... Um, Oops, I can't do Washington Post. $600 stimulus checks, the first one being $1,200. And it's uh, pretty unfortunate because uh, I don't know how half the amount that they were given back in March is actually going to help anything since since March people have been kind of on their own, um, especially with the bouncing around with the unemployment benefits, which were cut, I think, back in, I don't know, August, maybe July. Um so yeah we could have done much better other countries have either like canada has been doing 200 dollars a month or two thousand dollars a month my apologies and several other nations are actually subsidizing wages like covering the cost to make sure that even if people are working less not necessarily you know entirely out of the job but those wages being subsidized as well but people who are still working but their hours being cut um Instead, America focused on giving money directly to companies for companies to handle when uh, we should have uh, shut down more places. Um, You know, we really should have held down for a longer period than one month. That's a pretty weak 
uh, lockdown, especially with how Americans reacted to it, because significantly saying, I think the scientists had said that uh, three months would have really cut that curve hard. And then if we had continued with good social distancing, um, testing and wearing a mask, which, you know, isn't for control, more of a public health safety issue. Uh, we could have had a far worse pandemic here in America, which other nations have proved that is the case. So, um, you know, having workers continue to go to work, even though hours may have been cut, even though pay may have been cut, um, other people being laid off or fired, let go, um, jobs shutting down entirely, um, and it's not all just a part of the lockdowns in themselves, because, of course, a lockdown without support is going to hurt businesses and hurt people's livelihoods. So the government didn't step up for the average citizen as much as they did for the corporations themselves by offering PPP loans um, for nearly every quarter of this uh, market cycle, which I, you know, pretty fascinating, pretty fascinating in itself. Um, on, you know, and we heard it from Bernie Sanders. We could have done a lot more for American citizens, the workers, the labor value that goes into these corporations. And so that we wouldn't be seeing, uh, 300,000 dead Americans this month with, uh, about 3000 dying per day. Uh, we could have avoided that while also, uh, f uh, fronting the bill to allow people to keep each other safe. So it just kind of shows that Ayn Randian, uh, wow, Ayn Randian, objectivist, selfish, greedy, capitalist, Gordon Gecko mentality that happens in America because a lot of economies haven't shut down. A lot of businesses haven't shut down either. They've just kind of put up precautions, which would cost cheaper than actually taking the steps necessary in order to uh, shorten the spread or flatten the curve. And so let's just before we get into it, let's check the COVID numbers of the United States real quick. I'm sure you've probably heard it from other news sources, but, you know, for context, we might as well get into it. Um, let's see. As of December 17th, which was yesterday at the time of this recording, this is the 18th, but uh, we had a reported 238,189 new cases and 3,293 deaths. It did not need to be this bad. It did not. Um, but they will tell you that more people would have died if we had shut down the economy. But then the correct response, in my personal opinion, is to uh, have those multi-million and multinational corporations help take care of the people. Um, it's, a, it's almost as if, you know, because they, even though they add products and services to this country, they don't necessarily have any responsibility, whether it be in taxes or even social responsibility. Um, and you'll say, oh, but what about all those social justice warrior ads? And uh, that's pandering. That's all pandering. It's, it, you know, they see a market. That's it. So uh, CNN reports the House is voting on a stopgap funding bill. The U.S. House of Representatives is voting right now on a continuing resolution to keep the government funded after midnight. While it is expected to pass the House, the measure also requires the consent of all 100 senators tonight, which is in doubt. Wow, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it did shut down tonight. We did avoid a shutdown earlier this year, a few months back, but um, I wouldn't be surprised. Having, I think it shut down twice 
during the Trump presidency once in 2018 and again in 2019. Um, so it, it, it just, I guess it mostly depends on how heartless those Republican senators are going to be, uh, considering that Rand Paul is in there. Um, and, uh, what's his name? Jim Jordanson. Uh, let's see here. Republican Senator Josh Hawley told CNN earlier today that he would object if he doesn't get a readout of where things are in the talks and whether stimulus checks are in fact included. But Hawley later tweeted that he would consent to the brief continuing resolution, meaning he doesn't plan to object and derail a quick vote in the Senate on a stopgap bill to avert a shutdown at midnight. It is not clear if any other senators might object. Now, that's the unfortunate thing here is that the stimulus checks are being held like a carrot on a stick for this government shutdown. I feel like politically it would look uh, bad for whoever voted down uh, a stimulus check to uh, as many Americans as possible, even if it's just this measly $600 that really can't even cover a lot of people's rent checks. So... Um, I have been assured by, and this is a quote, I have been assured by Senator GOP leadership that hashtag COVID direct assistance to working people is in the co hashtag COVID relief bill under negotiation and will remain. And on that, that basis, I will consent to a brief continuing resolution to allow negotiations to conclude, he tweeted. Um, it's unfortunate that a senator would put hashtags like that in his tweet as if like he doesn't have thousands of followers and quite possibly journalists following him you know local journalists to say the least so that's very fascinating that a gop has to look for internet clout with hashtags when really uh it's really cringe i find it cringe when uh especially with a serious topic like COVID and the relief bill. It's just, that's uh, super cringe to hashtag those things. I get maybe you're trying to get a wide audience, but hashtags feel very trendy to me and people aren't really looking at hashtags unless there uh, is a trend thing going on, which I guess COVID is trending super hot this entire year. As CNN's Manu Raju reported, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders is being non-committal on whether he would give consent to keep the government open for two more days, saying we are thinking about it. He has been demanding a vote on his proposal with Hawley for $1,200 stimulus checks. Yeah, uh, I like how Bernie looks like the bad guy at the end there, but the, the, the difficult situation that progressives are put into is that you know still with the centrist democrats and the conservative republicans is that it's a very weak bill for the common good it's always very focused on the economy and big business big big business and so progressives usually look like the bad guy because they're not willing to um support these bills even though that carrot of a stick on a stick that six hundred dollars is being dangled on it so it's it's just really unfortunate the Hill here reports that GOP Senator blocks bill to provide $1,200 stimulus checks. Oh, it's going to play this advertisement, isn't it? Better keep it quiet. Uh, GOP Senator Ron Johnson on Friday blocked an effort to pass a second round of stimulus checks, arguing coronavirus relief needs to be targeted and raising concerns about the country's debt. Of course, uh, of course. But when, when the national defense budget comes up, it's just like, pew, sign it, pew, give them what they want. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's cool. It's really great. And then when it comes to like PPP loans and just throwing money at businesses and, uh, entrepreneurs, 
all of that it's you know pew, 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 get it done pew, signature signature but uh when it comes to just giving americans uh twelve hundred dollars it's just um it's just so hard to get it done it's just so difficult Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican of Montana, tried to get consent, which requires the cooperation of every senator. Oh, yep, there's that ad. Woof. That was bad. Um, which requires the cooperation of every senator to pass his bill that would provide $1,200 for individuals who make up to $75,000. The same exact, uh, the exact same language that Congress passed as part of the CARES Act in March. Um... Quote, what, what I'm proposing is what every senator has supported, supported already this year. What I'm proposing will give working folks in my state and across this country a shot at getting back up on their feet, Holly said from the Senate floor. Yeah, so, I mean, this uh, recession and the pandemic and the policies that have been implemented by the Trump administration has been a massive shift of wealth because billionaires have made over $650 billion added to their net wealth. That's all of them combined. Um, and the, the, the average citizen is seeing money leave their savings accounts and retirement funds and 401ks while at the same time, uh, the government continues to become weaker because of the lack of tax revenue that it generates as well, uh, also being contributed by the Trump administration's tax cuts. Um, it cut government revenue, even though government spending has gone up, especially during this pandemic. So uh, not good, not, not looking good, but unfortunately, rather than focusing on keeping consumers, you know, if we're going to talk in market terms, the consumers who stimulate the economy, um, if we're not going to support them, then the economy or the market is going to take its hits, regardless of how much money these uh, major billionaires have made. Um, all of that mainly dealing with, uh, you know, they have numerous projects that don't necessarily pertain to the direct consumer um, trying to... I mean, I'm just mulling this over. It's it's seriously unfortunate the way that this has gone, how money is being shifted away from uh, the, the, the majority and into the hands of a minority, um, which is just already wealthy people uh, maintaining power and wealth. It sucks. I, re I really wish I had something positive to say about it, but oh boy, it's kind of hard when uh, it just seems like America's own government has so much contempt for the people who supposedly love it so much. Are you okay with this relief package as it stands now? Hmm, let me think about it. We're going to print up money and give it to people who haven't lost their job. What could be dumber as an idea? See, and he was almost there on the point. It's like, we're going to print money that we don't have to give to corporations who have all our money. Um, and, you know, not necessarily... He's missing the mark here because there is an eight-point-something unemployment rate, uh, and that's millions of people. There's people who may have jobs but are still facing eviction or, you know, having bills so high and debt up to their ears um, it's just, it, it's so surprising that his, his only, um, issue it seems is that it's really dumb to give people who have jobs money. Um, when he can't get into 
I don't know, empathetic shoes to understand that there are other things that, like a jobs can't really pay the bill all the time. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, then we get the libertarian Rand Paul argument. Well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get out there, live the American dream, blah, 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 blah. Even though that you're already working 40 hours a week just to get by, well, you know, it is what it is, right? Am I right? Like this is to print up money we don't have, or borrow it from foreign countries, or borrow it from whoever we have to. And that's the thing is that we don't have to borrow it if we actually taxed multinational corporations. Like if we actually tax the wealthy, like we did in the 1950s, we would have a well of money to dive into social safety nets. But we don't anymore. We don't have that well because we've. Um, I don't know, just jackhammered the shit out of it to create this fountain that flows all the way to the top, but doesn't seem to actually come back down. Shouts out to Reagan. Uh, it was already in process before Reagan, but Reagan was a real shift in um, uh, redistribution of wealth from the bottom up. And it's just been taking that trend every 10 years or so to borrow it from and give it to people who are still working. It's a really bad idea. I mean, people always talked about, oh, well, stimulus works in the short run. And so they asked Lord... Why did nobody say, well, there's some people who aren't working. What about them? I entered Keynes one time. Well, what about the long run? He said, the long run will all be dead. So these are the people that don't care about their kids or their grandkids. He quoted a guy about shorthand gains. Like, I'm pretty sure Maynard Keynes is like an economist. And he quoted him saying that shorthand gains will cost you in the long run, which I find very fascinating um, because these aren't gains for these people who need these this money. It's not gains. It's actually balancing out, if that, because it's $600, which in America, in, in a very inflated America, um, it's not really going to help that much you know so some people will be lucky enough to throw it in their savings and now they'll have more money than they've ever had in their savings because not every american even has 400 dollars in their savings account oh man it's just like and so his quote is mainly for an economic situation talking about uh profit and share value like shorthand gains in profit is going to hurt in the long run even though american capitalism is very focused on shorthand gains because they're always about upping those profits every quarter rather than seeing you know maybe moving into biofuel in 10 years to knock down co2 emissions and then see the gains from that because of innovation <sighs> But he's quoting him way before Keynes would have even considered this as that kind of situation, because we're not really even talking about market share or market value here, as Keynes was in an economic sense. We're talking about people's livelihoods. So um, Rand Paul, incredibly heartless and worshiping the god Wall Street, that's I don't know what else to call it. Like he's he's a libertarian, so he wants to eliminate ultimately eliminate as much government regulation on corporations as he possibly can and just focus in on allowing corporations to run rampant they care about the short run but even if you look at it on a so what about the unemployment benefits that would be in there senator for those who are not working that's tucked in yeah. there or is it taken out of it 
I like how like he brings up like he almost brought it up there. He almost brought it up like what about the people who aren't working? But he kind of slyly because the unemployment seems to be like just this other bullet point that you can discuss separately from the stimulus checks when people obviously need both because we're not subsidizing wages throughout the entire pandemic. We're not giving money out the entire pandemic. The unemployment is a very specific social program that is tied to its own um i don't know uh requirements and standards so man it's just like uh this is talk about softball interview and so far i've been seeing in the right wing circulate how biden and obama had really softball interviews from trevor noah the host of the daily show a comedy central show and stephen colbert former comedy central show host and late night show comedian show host um they were complaining how those were softball interviews and it just blows my mind because those aren't news like you can get your news from there but it's usually followed by a punchline so it's like hey this is the news but don't take it too seriously nah. that's what you expect from those this is fox news and i know that a lot of people expect fox news to be um fake news or even um almost like a parody of itself but the thing is is that it's like true viewers don't view it that way they view it as a uh, a true news source a reliable news source and uh, this is softball as you get, because he could have actually challenged him. He's like, well, there's actually this many Americans who are facing a house eviction, this many Americans in need of hunger, and 8 million dropping below the poverty line. 54 million Americans facing eviction. That's all. That It doesn't say whether or not they have a job or not. It, that's not what it necessarily means. It means whether or not they can still afford their mortgage or still afford their rent. Well, here's the thing is, this makes President Obama look quite conservative because when President Obama addressed unemployment, they simply extended unemployment. Here we're adding to unemployment. So when you extend it, that's a little bit of a hand up. When you add to it, what you do is you give people an incentive to not work. And so yeah, that's that's the point, um, because we we should be able to go into lockdowns so that we can flatten the curve. So you don't want people to work. You want them to uh, survive without it for a bit while we get vaccines out to the first responders and the elderly and the most vulnerable. And then we can start slowly getting people out there again. Um, the government would have had enough money to support this if we hadn't cut our taxes in the past like 40, 50 years, maybe even 60. So it's um, it's it's all very ridiculous, very ridiculous on how... Um, just empty Republicans are and uh, seemingly lack of empathy. So here we have Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Republican. I do want to talk a little bit uh, about past stimuluses. Um, I personally don't believe they do much to stimulate the economy. I think the best way to stimulate the economy is, again, what this administration has done. Lower regulation to a reasonable level. Nobody argues for no regulations. We need a reasonable level. And have a competitive tax system. I do want. Yeah. Yep. It's not about giving consumers the ability to actually consume in the in in the market, which stimulates the profits of these big corporations, such as Walmart, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft. Even though they all have their own giant government contracts, there's also those businesses in themselves that provide products and services that need to be consumed um groceries landlords rent mortgages car payments 
all these necessities, those don't stimulate the economy. The, the housing market doesn't stimulate the economy. It hardly has any effect on it whatsoever. Sarcasm, yet again, because that is such a ridiculous statement to say in a, in a pandemic, when there are lockdowns, when there are businesses that have to shut down, when there are people who cannot go to work, to say that we just need to lower regulations on businesses so that they have to pay less in fines, pay less money on those regulations. And then a competitive tax system, basically saying that we have to offer taxes as low as possible to garner the attention of businesses so they can make more money and pay less. What a ridiculous statement to say during all of this. Now, the, 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 the biggest thing here, and I just want to get this real quick, Maybe I should find this video. Um, but Tucker Carlson reported that um, he had uh, vaccine skepticism, telling Fox News viewers to be nervous about glitzy rollout, which, you know, just making sure that people don't trust their system. Um, the owner of Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, receives dose of COVID, COVID vaccine in UK. Seriously. I cannot make this up that was reported by the guardian it is just marvelous how much contempt the, the the wealthy has for the working class and for the lower incomes of this of this nation that they are so brazen to just go get the vaccine wherever and whenever and still pay absolutely no taxes So I also got a little bit of curiosity in me today because I was like, well, what is everybody saying about the stimulus bill? So I went to Fox News to see what their uh, top stories were today. The five mocks Biden softball interview with late night comedian. Yeah, let's, that's important. Um, McCarthy says Swalwell should not serve on Intel committee following FBI briefing cool like and we talked about uh swalwell and uh mccarthyism back in uh the second civil war episode um so go back and listen to that because i'm not going to talk more about it but it's fucking amazing that senator mccarthy is the guy who just like he lives up to his name to focus in on this it's great i love it i love it so much this is exactly what our politicians need to be focusing on Oh, oh yeah, even better. Is Trump mulling a reboot of The F the Apprentice? The Five make bold predictions. Oh, thank God. FBI to brief M McCarthy on Swalwell connection. Like, come on, dude. Seriously. Tom Cruise taking early break from filming after rant. Like, they, they dedicated time to something that was trending on the internet. Like, people could easily find it about find about it somewhere else. Like, is there anything exclusive or important that you can actually bring to the motherfucking table? I am very frustrated right now. There's a video here. Joe Biden finally responds to questions about Hunter's business dealings. Wow, we're really getting that focus in here. But there it is. A minute and 30 seconds dedicated to Mitch McConnell fights Congressional to lawmakers finalize are trying to push a COVID relief deal before Christmas. A minute and a half. Coronavirus relief package across the finish line tonight. 
Thought it could come last night. They're trying again today. Correspondent, uh, congressional correspondent Chad Pergram tells us where things stand this evening at this hour from Capitol Hill. Good evening, Chad. Good evening, Brett. Well, Congress will likely work this weekend to finalize the COVID relief package. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says tis the season for Congress to finish up. Well, we in Congress are no strangers to December funding deadlines or the occasional pre-Christmas cliffhanger. In that respect, the situation we face now is familiar. Now, the sides agreed to a general $900 billion aid bill days ago, but details matter. Working out direct stimulus checks is complicated. One issue which remains money for state and local governments. Republicans you might say the road. I mean, I just use disaster money as a sl I just got to say real quick that it wasn't that complicated back in March. They did it like that. Like that. It was so easy for them to pass that first act. And now it's so difficult. It's just so difficult to do lockdowns, to do the social distance, to do the checks. It's so hard for them right now. And why? Even though like we're pretending that it's not hard for millions of Americans to not have social safety nets. Slush fund and reroute. This is an emergency. The funds to states through a back door. Republicans are trying to build guardrails to prevent that. Now, liberals contend the bill doesn't do enough. Right now, in the midst of a terrible pandemic, where the economy is in disastrous shape, all that we are talking about now is $900 billion. That is an inadequate sum of money to do what has to be done. But this measure could set the table for another bill under President-elect Biden next year. And with COVID relief unresolved, it's likely they'll have to approve a Band-Aid spending bill to avoid a government shutdown again this weekend. Brett? We'll follow it. Chad, thank you. I swear, like, the government is this ineffective and incompetent just to make us hate it. That's the, like, honestly. Honestly, I am very frustrated because this news is just so frustrating. And the fact that nobody is talking about it so that's fox news is one minute and 37 seconds on the relief bill let's go to ben shapiro's channel see what his little little bites are today okay now i would be rem hush um he didn't upload all of them but it seems the one he focused on right here is uh Barack Obama attacking the Electoral College in the Senate on Comedy Central. <sighs> Two days ago, he focused in on the California high school dumping Abraham Lincoln as its namesake. And then he reacted to Kamala Harris's Hanukkah video. Alright, that's decent. He has a COVID-19 vaccine distribution beginning in, in the United States. At least he touched COVID-19 just a little bit. Not too much to get infected with it, but just enough to say he stays on top of the issue. So what has Crowder been saying? Does Crowder have any videos talking about the stimulus bill that Americans truly need? If you don't believe that Americans need this help, then I cannot help you. Let's see here. Let's see here. Let's scroll down. Uh, six hours ago, porn is ruining your sex life. Okay. Is college worth it? 
Could fraud nullify an entire election? Will big tech ever be held accountable by Republicans? These were the focuses. Americans need help. And we need to be pressuring our representatives to help. Let's see if Tim Pool even talked about it. These are big names in the right wing. Let's see his recent videos. Two hours ago, Democrats furious after Trump administration stops Biden transition briefings uh, amid report of major hack on U.S. I don't know what amin is. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know what that is. Um, yeah, he, that, that was his focus. Not the fact that the stimulus bill is passing with barely any money in it in order to uh, just keep the, the, the government from shutting down and save For those face. that aren't familiar. Uh, apparently, a New York Times article says don't give elderly vaccine. They are white and should die to level the playing field, which I don't know about that. I haven't heard anything about that. I'll just take his word for it. Um... Virginia senator calls for martial law, says Democrat committed treason. Flynn says Trump could do it. You know, Trump, you know, Flynn's been saying do that. Yeah, again, not very focused on making sure Americans can even, like, pay for Christmas. Like, come on. Are, are you all working for the Grinch? Are you all just working for the Grinch? Because it seems like it. To, to just not care about Americans actually falling below the poverty line and not being able to keep up with their livelihoods. It's just insane to me. It is driving me bonkers. But I spent a good amount of time on that, so let's get into the video segment here. Thomas Sowell. Yes, sir. This headline for his video caught my attention pretty hard because that was what it was intended to do. But... Thomas Sowell is an American economist and a social theorist and senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Now, I've heard him referenced by uh, conservatives quite often, so I've never really gotten too much into his work, but this video was recommended to me today, and I thought that we should get into it, go completely cold into it. Haven't watched it yet, but it's titled Thomas Sowell on Noam Chomsky, Cornell West, and other left-wing intellectuals. And uh, I know Noam Chomsky, and I know Cornell West, and both of them are still alive today, still doing very many talks, lectures, interviews, podcasts, what have you. Um, they are everywhere uh, advocating for leftist ideas. Um, Noam Chomsky being on the side of libertarian socialist anarchism, and I think Cornell West might just be socialist. Let me Let me get that for sure. He's an American philosopher, political activist, social critic, author, and public intellectual. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is he a socialist, or is he a little bit more complicated than that? Um, West has described himself as a non-Marxist socialist, partly because he does not view Marxism and Christianity as reconcilable. 
and serves as a honorary chair of the Democratic Socialists of America, which he has described as the first multiracial socialist organization close enough to his politics that he could join. All right. But I've listened to several of Cornell West's uh, lectures, and he honestly has he has a lot of like emotion and charisma in his speeches like he to me honestly is just one of the greatest lecturers to give like these kind of uh intellectual political theory because he i hate to say entertaining but he definitely keeps me engaged because of the emotional level and um I, he's just a beautiful speaker like i i enjoy his talks so much and um yeah i highly recommend all his lectures very enlightening stuff um he's pretty frequent on democracy now he's been on fox news there's a debate between him and candace owens pretty interesting and uh noam chomsky uh linguist in his main profession but has been a political dissident for a while now i have a couple of his books one of them on anarchy and the other being because we say so but he's also his more popular works manufactured consent requiem for the american dream and um there's one escaping my brain right now but manufacture of consent is probably his most popular um because we say so is mostly like a collection of essays that he has and then on air anarchism is he kind of go gives like a little brief history and also a bit of like not theory but just kind of uh praxis you know a little bit of the how, how to in there um and examples but um uh i like noam chomsky a lot because he seems to be on uh, you know he he fits my um my own personal political beliefs to be perfectly biased with you um but he was my main introduction into leftist ideology, mainly, you know, even introducing me to other writers and then actually getting me interested in um, learning about Marxism. And yeah, um, I highly recommend his speeches, his books. Um, people can uh, disagree with him all the time. Liberals really hate him. Uh, conservatives really hate him. I mean, even some leftists think he's pretty softball for uh most leftism but uh i respect noam chomsky and i um i really appreciate him basically being my gateway into uh, left-leaning ideas rather than being totally prescribed to what is and already has been so um yeah so thomas Sowell on noam chomsky cornell west and other left-wing intellectuals let's get it oh the hell is paved with ivy league degrees <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, this first segment is called How Intellectuals Poison the Climate of Opinion in a Society. Anti-intellectualism is a big key to authoritarianism and fascism. So, eight seconds into this video, I have a bad feeling in my gut. When you refer to intellectuals in intellectuals in society, whom do you mean? I mean people whose end products are ideas. Uh, there are other people. Wait, Thomas Sowell, is he not an intellectual? People with great uh, intelligence. He's a social theorist, which sounds like you're like an intellectual vaccine, thinking of ideas. Uh, a, a research scientist is not necessarily an intellectual. That's right. He, he, an engineer isn't necessarily that's right. an intellectual. That's right. 
because the, the engineer is, is judged by uh, the end product, uh, which is not simply ideal. But forget, if you're a scientist, you are only a scientist. If you're an engineer, you are only an engineer. If you are to learn any other subject, you can just go fuck yourself as far as uh, uh, soul is concerned. Like, you, you know only what you say you are, and that is it. Your job defines your entire identity. Just letting you know, making sure that we're clear, please do not step out of your box. You will be shot on sight. Is if he builds a building that collapses, it doesn't matter how brilliant his idea was, or he's ruined. Uh, conversely, if an intellectual who's brilliant has an, has an idea to, for rearranging society, and that ends in disaster, he pays no price at all. That's not true. Martin Luther King. Could we argue that he was a public intellectual? Um, and I think my main example would probably be Socrates. Yeah, Socrates was forced to, well, we, I mean, the, the, the state, um, let's see, uh, not charged him, but um, I don't know. They brought a sentence down upon him that he drank cyanide. So um, Socrates was killed for his ideas by the state. So uh, you could consider that him being ruined, even though he does live on in uh, history and in the minds of many. But, you know, if we're Fred Hampton, you know, um, Huey Newton, you know, you know, John Brown, you know. So um, but, you know, John Brown didn't just discuss ideas and that's why he was killed. He tried to start an armed revolution and was killed because of that um but you know in in that same vein he would have had the idea to reorganize society and then he implemented that idea and paid for the the cost of it and there has been many of those people that is very strange to say that um because those people do pay a a, a pretty heavy price especially depending on how successful they are the fatal misstep of intellectuals is assuming that superior ability within a particular realm can be generalized to superior wisdom or morality overall. Chess grandmasters, musical prodigies, and others who are as remarkable within their respective specialties as intellectuals within theirs seldom make that mistake. Noam Chomsky, mm. whom you write about in Intellectuals yeah. in Society, whose work in linguistics, in the first place I can't understand it, but as best I can tell, everyone, who, underst exactly, everyone who understands his technical work within the field, within his discipline of linguistics, mm -hmm. considers him one of the great figures of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And his work in politics? Uh, uh, absurdity. The same could be said of uh, Bertrand Russell and his, and his uh, uh, landmark works on, on mathematics and other people in other fields, uh, but they step outside their fields. And... Uh, why, why, but why is Noam Chomsky at the, at the, uh, shit in stick of, uh, of stepping outside of his field? Because, um, yeah, uh, people pay him for so many speeches and is, it's in the same vein as Thomas Sowell's because people find his ideas enlightening. Um, so I'm trying to figure out just by the claim that Ch Noam Chomsky is absurd for getting into politics and I, uh, I'm drawing a blank because um, he's been incredibly helpful with actually reprogramming me from the indoctrination done by the, the public educational system. Uh, when you step outside your level of uh, specialty, sometimes that's like st stepping off a cliff. And why is it that intellectuals, that is to say people whose end product is ideas, should succumb to that temptation more than, to use your example, a chess grandmaster? 
Because the what, what what are we talking about here? Because like chess grandmasters aren't even that like popular, but like Michael Jordan left basketball to go do, um, uh, uh what, what my brain's farting. Hold on. Um, sh baseball, Jesus brain. Um, Conor McGregor stepped into the boxing ring. I only have athletics to get into, but like, um, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, Dr. Seuss's like adult work where it's not necessarily for kids you know you can kind of say that's stepping out of your field a bit um there, there's probably numerous examples of people like stepping out of their fields and being incredible successes childish gambino and another artist is doing fantastic and he's able to step in between movies music and uh and writing his own stuff like tv shows and such and so like this is such it's just such a ridiculous claim and it knocks kanye west right off of his throne thinking that he can hop out of the entertainment business and get into politics um but you know 2024 we'll see chess grandmaster can be world famous for doing absolutely nothing more than winning chess tournaments and making displays, as many of them do, of playing uh, five chess games uh, simultaneously while blindfolded. But intellectuals... But they wouldn't have any other hobby that they could be good at, right? They, they, they just play chess, and that's, that's, that's it. They just play chess. That's, that's it. And it's not like he's a social theorist and an economist, you know? He's, he's one or the other. What they they well they uh, la they languish uh, we, in obscurity well, no matter well, how smart. well the whole question of uh, when is someone well known or not uh, came up during the visit of Jim uh, Jim Flynn from uh, New Zealand here a few years ago he's one of the world's authorities on IQ tests mm -hmm. uh, people you know in India know about Jim Flynn people in England he's going he made world tour. Uh, but I doubt if the people in the next block from where he lives knows who he is, know, know who he is. If, if Noam Chomsky had just kept on stating in linguistics, neither of us probably would have ever heard of Noam Chomsky. He would have been just as famous around the world among linguists, but w nobody else would have heard of him. There has pro yeah, and that's because linguists is like a smaller community. Uh, politics is a pretty wide community, and then with his actual beliefs, it brings a lot of controversy because he is considered a dissident, a rebellious, a rebellious soul. Um, so I, I can't wait till we get to Cor Cornell West, who is like actually not stepping outside of his field. He's always in his, he's always in his zone. Um, but it's just ridiculous to think that, like, yeah, you know, uh, you know. I don't, I don't, I, 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 I just keep like hounding the point that like people can be more than one thing, like, but I, I need to move on from that because it is getting pretty ridiculous. Probably never been an era in history when intellectuals have played a larger role in society than the era in which we live. Close. No. <laughs> and like, maybe that's because like science and like, um, Let's see, logical-based mythology and narratives tend to be taking hold now, such as science, psychology, all of those things, like everything, like history um, and language, like all of these things are taking more forefronts than, say, like religion. Religion had a giant foothold on leading people's thoughts for centuries, and now that we're heading into the technological age, people are needing much more um, logical sense to be made out of this world, so... Um, I don't know. I still don't necessarily agree because, you know, theologians and philosophers have still been, you know, pretty heavy in those, in those areas. So, um, uh, yeah, he could be right though. He could be right. 
you know, mainly because like people have access, like the reading level is higher than it's really ever been, you know, um, and people have access to the internet and intellectuals are much easier to get into these days. So yeah, I, you know, maybe, but you know, as far as like moving society, those people have kind of been up in the nobles business or the upper echelon of society and have been kind of steering the course a bit with their information and their ideas. Quote, how come? Well, for one thing, for most of history, you had autocratic governments. You had kings, you had emperors, and so on. And, uh, that, and, there were, and what the people thought didn't matter an awful lot. In a democracy, what the people think matters a lot. And so, and also, and, and yeah, but they're apparently like you know, d democratic societies go back to like the ancient Rome and Greece. Like, um, they, they still pretty, uh, no, those, those were republics. I apologize. Even though we got some of the principles from those, uh, um, societies, but, um, there were still philosophers around and there were still thinkers. It's not like, uh, emperors were the, they didn't have advisors and such like that. That's, that's a ridiculous claim that they just sat there, mold everything over on their own and then came out with the answer. Um, yeah. In the later times, you have a more prosperous society where we can afford from a financial point of view to send more and more people through colleges and universities and to, and support books and things like that, much more so than in the past. And now you have people out there yeah. who fundamentally don't really know much beyond what their specialty might be, uh, creating a certain uh, vision of life in the electorate, which the people with the holders of power have to take into account. So the intellectuals are able to dominate, perhaps is the word, the what? climate of opinion yes. in a republic of 300 million people. What? Yes. What's the transmission? But they're like this homogenous hive mind that all thinks the same. No, like Thomas Sowell, like Thomas Sowell came out of this, the like the same America as Cornell West with two differing opinions. Like, what what do you mean? Like, you're an intellectual and you have a differing opinion from um, what's his name, uh, Cornell West. Like, honestly, the the it's it's Adam Smith writing The Wealth of Nations did not have the same point of view and philosophy as Karl Marx, who wrote Das Kapital. So please, come on. It's not some homogenous hive mind or secret society of intellectuals that are able to steer everybody's thoughts. Like, that is so conspiratorial that this is... I can't believe an intellectual uses his nomenclature as an intellectual to be an anti-intellectual. Mechanism from intellectual opinion to the larger climate of opinion. This is where the media comes in. Oh, there are many, oh, right. yeah, there are many yeah. transmission belts. I mean, uh, the schools, uh, all from, from the elementary school right all up through the, the, the graduate schools, uh, the media, uh, now increasingly uh, the churches, right. uh, even churches that we think of as uh, conservative are out there pushing uh, the liberal agenda. <laughs> Yeah, see, I'm really feeling like he might be a little fashy. Because when you say conservatives and liberals aren't that different and you're that right wing, I'm feeling you're like either super ANCAP, anarchist capitalist, or libertarian, or just fascist. Like, I don't think he wants to eliminate the state. I just wonder what he, his actual, how he would use the hammer to hammer in the nail. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's interesting. Now, the next segment here is how intellectuals dangerously misled the public in the past. Oh, good. Keep, let's keep, 
Yeah, that's what this whole thing is about, is anti-intellectualism and anti-diversity of thought. So because it's anti-left wing while the right wing talks his head off. So let's get it. Classic example was the era between the two world wars where the intellectuals were all in favor of disarmament. Even while Hitler was arming Germany and when Japan was arming and so forth. So they were only fighting for disarmament here in America. Not saying that America should lead by example or that like everybody should disarm to have a much more peaceful world. But of course, you know, if you can't get one nation to agree to that, then every nation is going to arm up. You still have to push the idea, though. You still have to push the idea. And you like if we didn't have the people who said no nukes, then we wouldn't have people who said no nukes. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we need people to say it's not a good idea to have weapons that can destroy each other. We need those people. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I get what context he's trying to give here, but I'm sure like Japan and uh, Hitler or I mean, Germany and other nations had similar people in there saying, like, let's not do a world war. They were saying we should disband the RAF, the British, some, the British intellectuals, and so on. And it was not that they convinced the holders of power. The holders of power, power understood that Germany was rearming secretly, even before Hitler took power. You make this point, Stanley Baldwin, then the British prime minister, yes. saw what Hitler was up to. Oh, yeah, the, the British and French intelligence services both knew this. The public didn't know this. And Baldwin was not about to tell the British public that the, uh, Germany was rearming because the clear implication was that Britain must re rearm. And the uh, intellectuals had made rearmament, uh, you know, poison politically. And his professional opinion as a, as a working politician was that the climate of opinion was such that, the, that British, British democracy couldn't bear the truth. That's right. All right, but that, that argument that he made sounds more like that it's actually public opinion that will steer more than these thought leaders, unless the thought leaders withhold information that uh, stop the public from making an informed decision. That, wow, what a point. What a point to make. Because of what the intellectuals had done to the, yes. the, through the journals and newspapers and the, the chattering classes, so to yes. speak. And what about the Vietnam? Chattering classes. Lyndon oh, Johnson. Good. Oh my gosh! That uh, the Tet Offensive was hailed by the uh, intellectuals as a, as, a, as a huge defeat for the American military forces. After the communists took over, won the war, took took over, took over South Vietnam. Vietnam was the worst, and I don't. I honestly, I don't know anybody who could defend it. I don't know anybody who would defend Iraq and Afghanistan at this point, unless they're going to talk about the large amount of oil reserves that the United States has becoming the largest exporter of oil in the entire planet. But anything as far as democracy or the lives of Iraqis and Afghanistans, there's nothing to show there. There's nothing to show there. And especially since we lost in Vietnam, there's absolutely no success to show in that story whatsoever. So the intellectuals were on the right side of history since day one. Damn. Tet Offensive is 68, the communists finally win in 73. Yeah, uh, the, the communist leaders themselves said they were devastated by the Tet Offensive. They never won a military battle against American forces the whole time the Vietnam War went on. But in the newspapers, the, the, the Tet Offensive was uh, depicted as a great defeat for the United States. So Lyndon Johnson and the military we lost so many troops in Vietnam, like a ridiculous amount of troops. There's nothing you can say that you should be proud of that war.
conducting the war in Vietnam, knew that we had, in effect, that we had won, not in effect won, that we had won that engagement, the Tet Offensive. Oh, and, and the communists knew. Everybody knew except every, the intellectuals. Everybody. And Lyndon Johnson, instead of prosecuting the war, is forced to announce toward the end of 1968 that he is not going to run for re-election. That's the moment when America effectively surrenders in Vietnam. Yes. Because the climate of opinion got, the, it, because the intellectuals got things wrong. They, they dominated the climate. There was no end goal. There was no exit plan. They went in there to defeat communism. That's like going somewhere to defeat terrorism. It's an endless war idea, and the money just kept going out, and the and, and the and the troops just kept getting killed. And so, at some point, of course, public opinion is going to drastically change towards pull them the fuck out. But obviously, it was like that since the beginning of the war. It basically, oh man. Come on. Just come on. Come on. How can how can he make like a defense that we won a a, a battle or or we had lost one battle and then the public opinion changed? Like no, we lost so many troops and it just was a waste of time. I'm of opinion. And if if uh, in a democracy if the people believe the war is unwinnable, then it's unwinnable. And the other thing is that, that, that and they're, they're, he seems to skirt it that it's like the, the propaganda machine in the newspapers that swerved pu people's public opinion into being anti-war as if the anti-war sentiment wasn't uh, rooted in public opinion, which then shifted both the press and the, uh, the, the, the government. But the thing is, too, is that when the press was reporting the Vietnam War, straight facts, straight facts. In fact, it was the first war that was brought to American televisions. Like, in their home, they would see reports of the Vietnam War, and that's why it just went down, because people were disgusted by it. And so the public opinion then changed how people uh, or how the political leaders acted upon it, even if intellectuals were against it from the very beginning. It was the public who ended up changing the politicians. That's, that's in, the, in the first of these chapters on uh, intellectuals and race it is about the role of intellectuals in promoting racism. I mean, the intellectuals today are ready to cry racism at, at the drop of a hat. But if you go back 100 years ago, uh, 1912, for example, you will find that nobody was pushing uh, the idea that some races were capable only of being hewers of wood and drawers of water like the intellectuals. Are you kidding me? What year was D.W.E.B. Du Bois alive? Like, are you, are you, you're, you're messing with me, right? Du Bois was alive between 1868 and 1963. So you better believe in 1920, he for sure was talking about that. Oh, wow. W.E.B. Uh, du Bois. Go look him up. Go get into his intellectual ideas. Go do it. I mean, Keynes helped found the uh, Eugenics Society at Cambridge University. Mm -hmm. And Woodrow Wilson. Oh, Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Woodrow Wilson was showing the uh, movie uh, Birth of a Nation, which glorifies the Ku Klux Klan in the White House to mm -hmm. various leaders. What, like what he's like there were racists there but like nobody was calling it out like yeah because everybody was racist but like nowadays people aren't racist so we call the racism out 
The majority is no longer racist, so racism is not acceptable. He's talking about nobody crying about race because racism was just predominant. What the? Wow. Wow. Like, this dude? Wow. He is literally the worst. He's the worst. Holy crap. I did not know he was that bad. Like, that is... What kind of brain knot do you put yourself into where you're like, nobody was crying about race when it was the most racist? that he called in to view it oh with him and, and these and and he, woodrow wilson and and people around that time they were called progressives weren't they this was one of the hallmarks that was when it was a different term progressives was a completely different term back in the day woodrow wilson ran as a democrat which was a d different party at the time in fact yes the democratic party was uh or the the kkk had supported then the democratic party woodrow wilson was a lost cause civil war revisionist who favored the south and he was a democrat very obvious that it was a different party than say the segregationist republicans of the 1950s come on Progressivism. People don't Even though Democrats weren't that great during the 50s either. I'm not trying to give them props for like switching that quickly. It took them a minute to get on the race issues stuff, but they did it. They did it. They did a little, not a great job, but you know, they've moved the needle. Understand that. That the progressives were pushing the idea that not only were there inferior races and they went beyond blacks and uh, Native Americans, they went, they, they, they included the, the Jews, they included the Italians. Uh, they included the peoples of Eastern and Southern Europe in general. And then it was they who pushed for uh, uh, laws outlawing intermarriage. These are all facts, but they're acting as if like the, the Democratic Party would still be the supporters of the KKK, even though it's very known now that, uh, uh, um, I can't even remember his name, but the, 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 the former uh, Grand Wizard, Duke something, I don't, I don't care. The former Grand Wizard of the KKK ran as a Republican. And the most racist party in America today is certainly Republican because they spend most of their time demarginalizing uh, people. I mean, they backed the blue when it was time for Black Lives Matter. So, And restrictions on uh, immigration based upon uh, the race of the people coming in and so mm -hmm. on. So uh, it's ironic because, of course, by the last decades of the 20th century, the intellectuals were on the other side. Mm -hmm. But in both eras... They did not take any criticism seriously. They, they dismissed all attempts to say that. Right, now it seems like he's mixing politicians with intellectuals, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure that I agree with that 100%, because some politicians don't seem like they've actually read any books. That there were other things to consider. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And so that dogmatism was there in both times, even though they were saying the opposite things in one period. But mm -hmm. there were lots of very pe people who were respect respectable. Any number of international scholarly organizations. These, these were not the village uh, idiots. These were not a bunch of ignorant rednecks. These were people with PhDs from the leading universities mm -hmm. in the country and who, taught, who were professors at the leading universities in the country. The next segment is called How Intellectuals Are Dangerously Misleading the Public in the Present. So we're moving from the past and how they were dangerously misleading us then and uh, how they're dangerously misleading us now. But um, honestly, he was so off on how uh, they misled us at all because he I don't understand how they misled us from getting out of the Vietnam War, which was bad from the beginning. 
That was a horrible point to make. And Woodrow Wilson, not an intellectual. He was he was a president, yes, but he was not an intellectual. He wasn't a guy who focused on philosophy. He focused on lost cause revisionism. He was a historian. Oh, oh man. Oh God. Like this guy's bad. He like I I I thought he was bad, but this is really bad. This is like he—he he honestly is actually the poison that he says everyone else is. That's a wow, 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 wow. Reparations in America are certainly due as a result of the systemic denial of opportunity to Black people. The relationship between African Americans in this country. And a broader country for most of our history has been one of extraction, taking resources out of the community uh, to profit other people. Uh, the period of enslavement, obviously. Did I not even just cover how that's being done under the COVID pandemic? How they're giving PPP loans, tax breaks, all these incentives for businesses to thrive, and yet they give the people very little while also cutting government revenue? upping spending for the rich and cutting revenue for the working class and the people who depend on the government to be the state? So he's going to get into older examples, but it's very obvious now how we ignore the redistribution of this wealth and uh, just focus on punching on uh, people who have these issues that seem to be systemic. For 250 years, the period of Jim Crow, when you had uh, basically a system of serfdom in the South, that explains to a large extent, as far as I was concerned when I wrote the article, the 20 to 1 wealth gap that, uh, that divides black and white America. Intellectuals give people who have the handicap of poverty the further handicap of a sense of victimhood. Close quote. Explain that, Tom. Well, the, un the unfortunate thing is, and especially if you get into leftist uh, uh, ideology and theory, um, I mean, Marx, I mean, even Marxism and socialism, communism see like an oppressor and oppressive dichotomy going on between the employer and the employee, the capitalist and the working class. So, um, yeah, the, the victimhood is being of the oppressed class, meaning that you don't have much social mobi mobility and you live on uh, subsistence living standards. You get paid a, subsist a subsistence wage to barely scrape by and you just get, keep piling on debt because the, the, the credit system is what really drives this country at this point. Yeah. So, oh, man, I am. I, can you hear it? Can you hear how frustrated I am at the misdirection that we're focusing on here to punch at intellectuals who open the eyes of people who don't have the access to go to college? They, intellectuals have a great tendency to see poverty as a great moral problem to which they have the solution. Yes, yes. Fifty four million Americans face eviction during this pandemic, while billionaires' wealth increased exponentially. Yeah. Now, the human race began in poverty. So there's no mysterious- Oh my God, like we've made all of this up. Like, yes, we have more material things, but was life really worse then when we didn't have to think about our car bill or health insurance or all these other things that are holding people down? No, we focused on getting food and fucking. That's literally it. All right, sorry, I am obviously frustrated because, like, just saying that we survived on food and fucking is just, like, overly simplistic and a bit crude, and I'm sorry for that. But, like, I am very frustrated at thinking that our lives that were much more simpler back in the day, say, before we actually created agricultural societies, 
um, saying that is poverty just shows that we live in this relative society that value is only in money and materials, not actual lived experience. This explanation as to why some people are poor. The question is why have some people gotten prosperous? And in particular, why have some gotten prosperous to a greater degree than others? But everybody started poor. So poverty is not a... And that is because America is a meritocracy because we only reward those of their merits and we focus in on capital monetary value. So that's where you see that gap, which we even call the income gap or the wealth gap. We have a term for it mystery to be solved by intellectuals. More than that, I think one, one of the things I wish I'd put more emphasis on in the book is that intellectuals have no interest in, in what creates wealth and what inhibits the creation of wealth. They are very concerned about the distribution of it, but they act- No, no, see, and the reason why they want redistribution of wealth is because capital is the investment, but the labor is what creates the value. So, um, yeah, he doesn't, he obviously doesn't take it from a Marxian lens. He's definitely going with a more Adam Smith wealth of nations look at the economics and the capitalist system. But Marx recognized that it's the labor itself that creates the value because, uh, uh, a capitalist can throw as much money at a tree and tell it to become a chair as he wants, but until it is turned into a chair, it has no market value. Act as if wealth just exists somehow. So and it's only a question, it's like manna from heaven. It's only a question of how we split it up. Why shouldn't they find that question at least intellectually fascinating? Because it would destroy the whole vision that they have. It would say... I wouldn't have been able to say what I just said if they hadn't actually looked at that, and they have. And the thing about Das Kapital is it is a massive, hard read. It is a lot. And it goes in hard on capitalism and saying how the the exploitation of the workers is the capitalist taking all of the surplus value that comes from selling the 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 the, the, the labor all the way up to their pockets all the way up to their pockets while the the worker earns the smallest wage possible for their work in order for the capitalist to make a profit so they 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 have thought about this and they've mulled over it and the thing is, is that there's many thinkers who have thought about it. So please, I don't think he's read all of them. And to be perfectly honest, he went and got degrees. I don't really have the, the, the ground to actually say that I can debate this man. But the thing is, is that I can definitely poke holes in this because he is outright being broad and vague and misrepresenting uh, every thinker that has ever opposed the ideas that he seems to support. There are enormous numbers of reasons why people acquire the ability to create wealth, and they vary all over the world. And so if you find, for example, that in centuries past, Germans living in Eastern Europe uh, had much higher standards of living than the indigenous peoples of Eastern Europe, uh, intellectuals will say, well, the Germans have somehow oppressed the people of Eastern Europe. Right. Or the ones who are in, into genetic determinism will say the Germans were born 
biologically superior to the people of Eastern Europe. No, anyway, no, it all had to deal with their material conditions, and they had certain technologies that allowed them to do other things that Native Americans weren't even concerned with because they were fine with just living off the land as was. The Europeans, once they had discovered certain tools and wealth and other um, material things that really, uh, they did improve living conditions, and they, like, I can give capitalism its credit for the Industrial Revolution and lifting the world into this like grand spectacle of technology and innovation and um, you know uh, science and we, capitalism has been great in propelling the humans outside of the animal kingdom out of nature but the thing is is that the Native Americans had no problem living in it they had no problem being one with nature and being at balance with the Mother Earth. And so their living standards may not have been as low as what Thomas Sowell would consider because they may or may not have loved their lives. So if it, it all comes down to monetary wealth and uh, material wealth. That's what is more important to Thomas Sowell than actually having a wealthy lived experience. And I'm not talking about wealthy in a material sense. I'm talking about a spiritual, a connection, a lived experience sense. Something that actually transcends than just getting money. But unfortunately, in a capitalist system, a great lived experience is actually tied to money. But if you can, you know, go the Buddhist route and get the detachment from these material things, then unfortunately, you have that you're much more closer to what they call nirvana or the the the, the heaven in the lived experience or what uh, the Zen Buddhists and Taoists call uh, satori. Like, it's just it's so crazy to think that the only thing that matters is material wealth when in the end this planet will consume us the solar system will consume us and it is ridiculous to think that material wealth matters more than lived experience anyone with a knowledge of history would know that there are all kinds of reasons why western europe as a whole has far greater wealth producing capacity than eastern europe but of course that would then cut out the role of intellectuals they would then have to do what David Hume did, which is what he told <laughs> He urged his fellow 18th century Scots to learn the English language because that would open up a whole world to them uh, that they would not have otherwise. Which leads to another quotation that I found very striking here. And I mean, I honestly think that's the only thing that's keeping workers from uniting um, properly is that having that connection and also the language barrier. So uh, if we had better translation systems, people like since we're living in the 21st century, people don't have to learn a new language. They only need a device that can like um, instantaneously translate speech. And uh, that would really connect people across the globe. Um, and unfortunately, um, that would bring the communists and the socialists much closer to conquering the world. And so it's been pretty inhibited with the Internet, um, not necessarily connecting everybody in the world, but it connects most people. Uh, you know. But there's still that language barrier, cultural barriers and other things like that. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know exactly what point he was trying to make that the Scots recognize that they should learn English in order to work with the empire. That's that's it. They, they, they compromise so that they wouldn't be crushed. You're right that although intellectuals pay a lot of attention to inequalities among racial and ethnic groups, seldom has this attention been directed toward how the less economically successful might improve themselves by availing themselves of the culture of others around them. Close quote. Now that is a very arresting formulation. Poor people can improve themselves by availing themselves of the culture of 
others around them. What do you mean by that? I mean, at the same... No, seriously, what do you mean by that? Because I thought it was going to be sounding like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but it sounds like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and walk away from your community. Things which allow some other people to prosper can allow them to prosper if they take advantage of those same things. The Scots were... Oh, oh, okay. So I just need to start up a, uh, you know, a service that provides goods and products everywhere uh, through a, a packaging uh, system, like a good transit system, and I, I just deliver everybody's packages and I pay everybody's shitty wages, don't allow them to go on bathroom breaks, and I one day too will be prosperous. I'm talking to you, Amazon. I'm talking to you. If I don't let, if I start an internet company or if I start a computer software company and I don't let my workers unionize, then I one day too can be Bill Gates. Classic example. They were one of the poorest and most ignorant people on the fringes of European civilization in centuries past. But once they, for whatever reasons, began to educate themselves and especially to learn the English language, which became a passion. I mean, people all over Scotland, including Hume himself, were... It's not even just learning the English language. That is so weird to say that, like, English culture is what, like, inevitably uh, got Scots to raise their material wealth. No, it's the, the, um, the transaction through capitalism. Like, capitalism is actually great for economies and great for, um, uh, um... Uh, shit. Oh, shit. But it's 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 great for uh, like economies that start out really poor because you start generating this wealth such as money, which is currency that can be bargained or bartered and traded around the around the world and throughout your country. Like money is pretty important in a capitalist system because it allows people to buy goods and services and other things that they couldn't necessarily get if they didn't have the thing to trade. So money built that bridge and capitalism ended up getting into these other states because they needed to create their markets to in order to create value in their states in order to actually uh, become productive and build their material wealth. But if imagine if the Native Americans had been left alone without European interference whatsoever, they would have their own kind of society and culture. It may have eventually become capitalist. It may not have been. But the thing is, though, is that now we'll never know because capitalism ended up getting its grubby little fingers on America it's it's just like he has this he even has this dogma that like it's that capitalist realist idea that capitalism was the only way and is the only way to organize a society even though it's it's, it's, it's a it's an economic structure but it ended up becoming everything Taking lessons in the English language. Hume's first language was Gaelic. He, he's. I, I, I don't know if it was Gaelic. It was what, what, whatever they spoke in those days. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and 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 that. with and, and from the, about the middle of the 18th century. I don't know about too much about David Hume. So let's look. I'm sure he was an economist. Oh no, he was a Scottish philosopher. Nice. Um, inspired by Kant. Adam Smith, John Stuart Mill, John Stuart Mill and an Adam Smith, definitely a huge inspirational for capitalism. Let's see here, uh, Scottish naturalism. Ugh. Apparently he was a philosopher, historian, economist, librarian, and essayist. Um... It doesn't say, and sometimes Wikipedia will say what English is they spoke. 
but uh, not seeing that here, so let's just move on. In the middle of the 19th century, the leading intellectuals in Britain were Scots. Right. I mean, you had Adam Smith in economics, humans and human philosophy, uh, black in chemistry. Uh, you, you go through the whole list. And so they could do that. But th that was an extremely rare thing for an intellectual to say. Most intellectuals in most countries around the world see the issue as how those who are more prosperous should be brought down. Rather than how, and, and moreover, the people, people who are lagging should cling to their culture. I don't know how you're going to keep on doing what you want. It's just amazing how he will argue that greed is a, a transcendental uh, experience when, you know, um, supporting your community and sharing isn't. Um, it makes you less than, and so you should keep as much money as you possibly can. You've always done and get results that are different from what you've always gotten. We are witnessing a. Oh, this is Cornell West, by the way. America as a failed social experiment. Its capitalist economy could not generate and deliver in such a way that people could live lives of decency. I don't think that democratic socialism as an ideal has been able to be embodied in a larger social context. What is the vision to which contemporary intellectuals subscribe? that uh, intellectuals should um, influence, if not control, the kinds of decisions that are made in society. And oh more my God, I just, hold on. Um, so the official poverty rate in 2019 was 10.5%, down 1.3 percentage points from 11.8% in 2018. This is the fifth consecutive annual decline in poverty. So that's not bad. It's declining, but it's still fucking high. Uh, since 2014, the poverty rate has fallen 4.3 percentage points from 14.8% to 10.5%. Um, if you have uh, millions of people below the poverty line, can you really call yourself a successful social experiment? Or do you just forget those people and say everything's going great? Uh, for Thomas Sowell, it's everything's going great especially, that uh, they should promote the transfer of decisions from the, from the masses to those who have, quote, um, more intellect. And given how I conceive of knowledge being... It's I, don't, I don't see that because, um, no, uh, Cornell West probably supports direct democracy, and especially Noam Chomsky being a libertarian socialist anarchist, I know for sure he supports direct democracy, so that eliminates any representation except for self. Um, so that is a ridiculous statement to just blanket over every intellectual when the two that are highlighted in this title of this video, um, they obviously do not support having anybody represent the democracy. They have the democracy represent the democracy. That's this guy is frustrating. Holy crap. This is my first encounter. Um, I've heard his name been thrown around by a lot of right wingers and, um, yeah, he's basically their intellectual and he is just full of, uh, holes, a lot of holes. Distribution. That would mean transferring uh, decisions from where there's 99% of the knowledge to where there's 1% of the knowledge. And against that background... How many corporations own all the media? I think it's like five. You know? So there's five corporations that decide who or decide what exactly the people are even informed on. So yet again, uh, really, really missing the mark there.
Really missing the mark there because we're we're missing what actual direct democracy here, especially since we still have the Electoral College to represent the will of the people, which has elected like four or five times a president that was not won by the popular vote. Ground. It's not at all surprising that things like uh, central planning simply don't produce as good results as allowing all the millions of people to react in the marketplace. So again, this this counter common sense. You know what's best for your health. Therefore, we must make the decision in a bureaucracy in Washington. That's right. How? I, that's what we've been at. It's a representative republic, like a constitutional representative republic. That's what we've been on. And I'm sure Thomas Sowell would defend it, saying that intellectuals are trying to take that from you. It, and he seems to be interchanging intellectuals with politicians. And they're not the same. They're not the same. Well, if you've been told all your life, and, and many of these people have, from an early age, they, they were in the class for bright, gifted children. They were the ones who got into the good high schools. They were the ones who were accepted in colleges that accept uh, less than 10% of the applicants. Uh, uh, they've heard that. So because they, they have these things that not everybody has, they shouldn't use them in a in a in in the manner that they see fee especially if i see it as the common good because they're advocating for util utilitarianism almost that um as many people succeed as possible um that's that's so weird because it's like it's the opposite the, the way that i feel about ben shapiro is that he understands politics he's a very good talker he's very good at communication and news broadcasting and yet he uses his platform to shill for the conservative republican party rather than actually fighting for the most amount of good he fights for the minority of uh, uh of the per minority perspective of how things should run in this country and a very small group because he represents Judeo-Christian social conservative political values. So that's 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 like that cuts off so many people who live in this country. This all through their lives, and after a while, they must, in all due modesty, uh, believe it. Ideological differences based on beliefs about facts, causation, human nature, and the character and distribution of knowledge are ultimately questions about different perceptions of the real world, leading to hypotheses which can be tested empirically. Now, everybody who's been to college and high school knows that what you've just described is is the intellectual method. You come up with a hypothesis and you test it against reality. Mm. And That's a scientific method. I'm so frustrated. Are scientists intellectuals now? I I am genuinely pissed. This is a terrible interview, and the guy being interviewed is just misrepresenting. Uh, he's really uninforming people. Like, he's doing the reverse of informing. He's basically arming them with rhetoric to be anti-intellectual and anti-trustful of people who have spent years reading books and understanding theory and ideas that differ from the status quo. <sighs> I guess, like, then that's the thing that, you know, the hermeticism says is that there's always polars to these things. You know, you got, you got the intellectuals and thus the intellectual, anti-intellectual was created or the anti-intellectual existed and then the, the intellectual came from the ashes it's just so frustrating i like i i get that the universe has to have balance but like the fact that like he can affect 182,000 people is so frustrating to me and yet you argue here that the least interested in actual empirical tests testing 
hypothesis, testing ideas against reality mm. are intellectuals. Why? Because there, there are many talents. They have a huge ego stake. In, in, in Which is funny because like Thomas Sowell doesn't want to try anything new whatsoever. He's a conservative to my knowledge so far. He definitely just wants to keep things going as is. And he doesn't see any actual systemic issues unless it's a Democrat in office. So, um, wow. Like, Wow. How dare they even make that accusation when Thomas Sowell presents absolutely new or nothing new except for reactionary politics, Re even reactionary philosophy. That's crazy. Given set of conclusions. So in other words, it's very asymmetrical. I mean, if you believe in free markets and, uh, you know, um, traditional values and so forth, there is no exaltation that comes with that. You're just somebody who believes in free markets and, and traditional values. On the contrary, there's a certain humility that comes with it. You yes. say, look, the market knows more than I do. Yes. The traditional... <laughs> the market knows. We made it up. It's, it's a construct. It's an idea that we play around with, and it fluctuates, and it, it only depends on really like what has monetary value. So whatever has monetary value is more important than any other knowledge that you might have. Like, again, the obsession with material wealth here is just... It's really disgusting because lived experience is so much more important. Decency is so much more important. ...moral wisdom of the ages knows more than I do. You mm. humble yourself before the wider world, right? What? Yes. The traditional moral wisdom of the ages knows more than I do. You humble yourself. <laughs> it's just funny because when you read the morals of the Bible, you're like, man, these people are kind of barbaric. Like, it's just like the, 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 the one thing that I always bring up, like even most laws that are in Deuteronomy are just like so like tied to the times and barbaric that we had to create our own laws for for the criminal punishment in the american society uh, especially since we have the first amendment that doesn't allow the 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 united states government to endorse any religion specifically but it's just so funny it's just so funny that like traditional uh, morality would have more wisdom than what we could learn today like by learning the effects of the drug war we would learn that actually it was a bad idea to start but he would argue no it was a good idea to start because they knew more than i did even though they don't know the outcome or unintended consequences of the drug war like what are you talking about like, yes, there are things that we can learn from these traditional thoughts, but to say that it should apply to the society as culture changes is ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. ...yourself before the wider world, right? Yes. Okay. But, 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 but if you believe in social justice and saving the environment, you know, uh, I mean, you are really something. And so they, the people with that viewpoint that have a mean? huge ego stake. They, they, and, and empirical what does evidence... That mean? What does that even mean? That you're, you you want to combat climate change and fight for social justice to end racism, white supremacy, and all these bigoted ideas? That you're just you're just out of your mind and too into your ego, thinking about others. That's that's too into your ego. <laughs> oh man, is like gambling all of that on on a roll of the dice. Are we becoming a nation of intellectuals? No. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. It would be, it's, 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 it's a chilling thought. Because we... <laughs> oh my god, it scares Thomas Sowell if people knew better than him. <laughs> he would be out of a job if people knew better than him. Oh man, that's, that is a funny...
question and that was an even better answer. We're becoming a nation of people who are propagandized from elementary school right on through to the graduate school. In and that has nothing to do with the state and has a lot more to do with the, the or not. It doesn't have much to do with the intellectuals like Noam Chomsky is very like he wrote an entire book about propaganda called the manufacturing of consent. He like displayed it for everybody to see like this is how they propagandize you. This is how they indoctrinate you. And yet Thomas Sowell is willing to put him into that machine, which tells me that he's either ignoring the work or is unaware of the work. Ooh, and the propaganda is only an arm of the state because the state and the private media companies have shared interests. Come on, man. He really thinks everybody is stupid. I bet he loves Plato. Like, I bet he is, like, just totally into Plato's Republic. Like, just loves it and thinks philosophers should actually run everything and that everybody who was born in the working class should stay in the working class. Oh my goodness gracious, what a terrible philosopher that he actually offers absolutely nothing new except for opposition to new ideas. Whoa. A certain vision of the world. And only the ones who, for one reason or another, uh, either experience or insight or whatever, leads them to say, wait a minute. Only those are the ones that we have to depend on. Well, thank you for jo joining Talks News, where we watched Thomas Sowell, and, and we all we we several times said, "Wait a minute!" Wow, dude, I did not know that he was that ignorant, and like that, like he is actually the poison in the well. That's funny as fuck because he he sh he's, he shows up and says, "I'm a social theorist." And just like reacts to people who have opposing opinions to him and preserves the, the status quo. Wow, Thomas, wow. Oh man, but that that's that's today's episode, man. Like, wow. Holy crap. Like, do not listen to him ever. Oh man, go consume uh uh you uh Yuval Noah Harari had a great conversation recently. Um, go look him up on YouTube. Watch a Noam Chomsky thing. Murray Bookchin. Um, uh, who, who am I skipping? Cornell West. Go get some Cornell West. Like especially with how poetic he is at delivering his his thoughts. It's great. Um, geez, man, I really need to wash myself off with some Cornell West after that. He's like, I honestly think Thomas Sowell is like Jordan Peterson level of just like mental gymnastics to say that the status quo has nothing to do with the uh the 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 issues of today it's crazy man it's so crazy <sighs> go get some w.e.b du bois since he said that nobody in the 1920s was talking about this kind of stuff go check out w.e.b du bois for sure and uh check me out on twitter at as a wave a-z-a-w-a-v um hit me up uh yeah to do that check out the videos on youtube uh, writings on portumrebellion.net and uh you know honestly go out there and pressure your senators to uh give uh larger amounts of money to people who are struggling in this uh post-covid economic climate like 600 dollars seriously after nine months of being left on our own 600 dollars Seriously, like uh, pressure your Republicans to stop talking about the election and about your livelihoods. That's all I've got for you today. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Stay blessed. I love you. Stay safe.